Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, good morning everybody. Welcome, we are so glad you're here for week number two of our Imagine initiative. We're thankful to have all of you. Uh, If you have your journal with you, let me see it, hold it up. Okay, if you got your journal with you. Okay, a lot of you do, wonderful, thank you so much. Those, the ushers are going to come right now with uh, journals. If you were not with us last weekend, did not get one. Now, if you forgot it at home, sorry, okay? Got to write notes somewhere else today, but they're going to come right now. And if you did not get one of our journals, just hold up your hand and let them uh, come and serve you, okay? Keep it up. Just hold it up high. We want, if you want to be a part of this initiative with us, you're part of this journey, this church is your church home. We want you to have one of these journals. So keep your hand up as the ushers come and make sure they get distributed. Everyone will get one, okay? Now in this uh, journal, we are providing information about this initiative, what God is doing here at Grace Crossing Church, what God has in store for us here at Grace Crossing Church, what's on the radar for us as a church family moving forward. And we want you to take the journal and we want you to engage with it. You can do that by actually beginning with familiarizing yourself with its contents. Um, But two things in particular I want to draw your attention to in this Imagine Journal. The first thing is, there is a place within the journal for you to take notes. So every week of our initiative, over these next number of weeks, there's a place for you to jot down thoughts and key ideas that God is speaking to you about through the talk. The second really important part of this is there are reflection questions in this journal that you can utilize. So if you're in one of our connection groups, then you are going to be unpacking those questions every week in your group. Uh, If for some reason you're not able to be in a connection group this term, please use those reflection questions. You can use it as an individual, you can use it as a couple, and take time to actually process through throughout this week what is God speaking to your heart about when it comes to the topic that we're dealing with um, this particular Sunday morning. In addition to the journal, we still have a number of t-shirts that are available for Imagine. They're at a table on your way out uh, uh, into the auditorium. As you go into the gallery this morning on the left-hand side, there'll be some extra t-shirts there. If you want to pick one of those up, first come, first serve, um, please do that. Uh, And then also there's a couple of other resources out there that you can take advantage of on the table. We would ask you to utilize all these tools that are designed to help you grow and grow in your uh, relationship with God throughout this series. So this morning, take your journal, if you will, and turn, please, to page number 15. So page number 15 is where we're going to be focusing this morning our thoughts uh, in this particular second week of this series, Imagine. I want to begin this morning with our catalyst verses that come to us by way of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, and I love the way the Living Bible actually expresses this sacred text. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, and hopes. May he, God, be given glory forever and ever. 
through endless ages because of his master plan of salvation for the church through Christ Jesus. We began this series last weekend with a very basic question. Can God do anything? Remember, last weekend I mentioned that we are bridging into this series from our oneness series. You will notice we are in the same exact book, Ephesians. That's because what Paul is suggesting here is that when you think about all that God has done in diverse unity, if God can take people who are hostile, if God can take people and groups that are segregated, if God can take people that are opposed and at odds with one another and enemies against one another, God can tear down those dividing walls and he can make us one new humanity, one new people, one new person, then God can do anything. God's capable of it. The question is, do we believe it at the core of our being? So here's another way, and we said each week we're going to use a different translation to find the unique nuance of this text. Here's another way to ask that question. Is God able? I love the way that this particular passage is captured. Glory to God. God is able. Do we really believe that God is able. When you sit, as you sit here this morning, let me ask you, what is it you would dare ask God? As you sit here this morning, what is your wildest dream, spiritually speaking? As you sit here, what is your greatest prayer, your deepest desire? your highest hope, your greatest longing. Do you believe at the core of your being that God is able to blow the doors off all of that and do so much more than all of the things that you dare ask that you in your wildest dreams would ever imagine God doing? Well, I think to be there, it begins and it ends with God. This Imagine initiative is not about me. And it is not about you. It is about God. It is not about our ability or our inability. It is about God's ability to do exceedingly, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So for us to be able to imagine all God has we shared last weekend that we, it begins by us reimagining God. We've got to first reimagine God. Isaiah the prophet writes in his particular book, in Isaiah, the one who prophesied the coming of Jesus. He writes in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I had a vision. Of the Lord. He was on his throne high above, and his robe filled the temple. 
I come into this Imagine initiative with a conviction. And here's the conviction. The size of our imagination is always determined by the size of the God that we serve. If we come with a small imagination, it is because we envision a small, limited, stunted God. But when we see God, when we, when we see him high and lifted above, all of a sudden it takes the ceiling. The lid is lifted off of our imaginations. We begin to see God as capable of doing absolutely anything. Now, the question we often ask is, will he do it for me? I don't know the answer to that question. But what I do know is that God is able. God is able. I have seen a lot of people, and I've been guilty of it myself, who claim to love God but have a small view of God. There are times that the God we serve looks little like the Bible, and a whole lot more like us. And what God wants to do is he wants us to imagine all that could be. And so Paul, and we shared this last weekend in three verses by way of review, Paul writes in Ephesians leading into Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. If you weren't here last weekend, I would urge you to listen to the podcast. But let me suffice to say this. When you pray and when you fall to your knees, who is the God you pray to? When Paul prayed, Paul saw and envisioned. He imagined a God who was a perfect father. He imagined a God who was fully and absolutely creative. And he's made us in his image to be creative, to imagine. He prayed to a God of unlimited resources. And how often do we allow our limitations to put limits on what we trust God for? God is only limited by our limitations and our imagination. He's not limited by what we're able or unable to do, but he is limited by our imagination of what God can accomplish. And so this morning as we come to this second week of this Imagine Initiative and series, I want to talk and focus on imagining ruthless trust. Once we reimagine God, then and only then can we move to a place of having what I would call ruthless trust. Now, at first earshot, those two words don't seem to go together, do they? Like the word ruthless is not a positive word. We don't often think of the idea of being ruthless as something that you would take as a compliment. If you're wondering if it is or isn't, just talk to your spouse and call them ruthless and see how that works. Or your mother-in-law, okay? We don't like to be called, nobody in their right mind wants to be called ruthless. But listen, there is a trust that is so ridiculous, that is so outlandish, 
that to aspire to it is nothing short of ruthless. This is a trust that Paul the Apostle actually talks about. When he says, when I pray, this is the God I pray to, he then comes to the next three verses. In verses 17 through 19. And here's what he says. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all of the fullness of life and power that comes from God. There are two big key thoughts I want you to journal today. Two big key thoughts that I want you to take away from this morning's talk. Here's the first. Ruthless trust is my response to God's love. That may sound really simple and elementary, but stay with me this morning because I want to unpack this. Ruthless trust is my response to God's love. Here's what I have learned in my life. I cannot trust God unless I believe fully that God is good. And I cannot fully believe that God is good unless I believe that God is always motivated by love. According to Paul, it is only God's power working within us that helps us to fully understand and embrace this incredible, ridiculous kind of love. It's not the kind of love this world knows. It's not the kind of love this world can give. It's the kind of love that comes from a God who says, I know everything about you. I know your deepest, darkest desires. I know your tainted life. I know the way that you have lived. And I'm telling you today, I accept you as you are and not as you should be because you will never be as you should be this side of eternity. It is a love that says to us, you are given my grace and my kindness, not because you've earned it, but because I want you to have it. And because you can't earn it, you also can't unearn it. This is a love that comes from the depth of God's very heart. It is a ridiculous, outlandish kind of love. And the question this morning is, how do we respond 
to that kind of love? How do we respond to a love that knows no boundary, no limit, and has no breaking point? How do we respond to that kind of love? There's only one way. Trust. The only appropriate response to God's ridiculous love is to trust. Trust is my response to God's love. I can't earn that. I can't produce that. I can't do anything to win that. But I can do one thing. I can trust it. Now listen, according to Paul, he says this. The breadth of God's love, it's so high, it's so wide, it's so long, it's so deep, you're never going to be able to fully comprehend it. But even though we cannot fully comprehend it, we can fully accept it. There are a lot of things in life I cannot fully comprehend, but I can fully accept it. And God's asking us to do that. And so I love how the language is written here by Paul. It says this, the second statement, your roots will grow down into God's love and will keep you strong. Christ will make his heart in his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your trust roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. What is it that keeps us strong when life feels out of control? What is it that keeps us strong when we find ourselves blindsided by the circumstances of life? What is it that keeps us strong when some things simply don't make sense? What keeps us strong is deep roots of trust in God's love. And I want you to know this this morning. The stronger your confidence is in God's love, the deeper your roots will grow. The stronger your confidence in God's love, the deeper your trust roots will grow. So this morning I ask you a question. How deep are your trust roots? In God. This Imagine initiative is really all about trust. It's about ruthless trust. It's not about us having shallow surface roots. That when the sun comes out, it burns the roots up because they have no depth to them. But it's about having deep roots. Deeply rooted in God's love because ruthless trust is my response to God's love. And there's a second thing, a second idea that I want you to take away from this service this morning. Ruthless trust means that I listen to God even when it defies logic. Ruthless trust means I listen to God even when it defies logic. If faith in God is anything, 
It is not logical. In fact, faith is often illogical. There's no rhyme or reason to why we continue to trust God at certain times in our life. There are times that God speaks to us that simply does not make sense to us, but God asks us to trust Him, to listen and to obey. My life has been a journey of doing that. I was born in a Catholic family, raised in a Catholic home, but at the age of 16, Jesus ambushed my life, and I've never been the same since. And I came to faith in Christ in a Methodist church at a weekend retreat called a lay witness mission. My life was radically altered. And there was a story that was told that day that I heard that really was instrumental in me understanding what God was calling me to do. It was a story about a guy by the name of Desert Pete. Most of you probably have never heard the story of Desert Pete. So let me read it to you this morning. It goes something like this. Many years ago, a weary traveler hiked for miles across the sands of a desert with the hot sun beating on his back. His water supply was gone. And he knew surely that if he didn't find water soon to quench his thirst, he would die. In the distance, he saw a small deserted shelter. This brought hope that he might find the water that he so desperately needed. Summoning his remaining strength, he made his way to the shelter. When he finally arrived, he found no one. But he did find an old water pump. At once he grabbed the handle and began to frantically pump. But try as he might, he was not able to get even a single drop of water from the pump. Then he noticed a tin baking powder can tied to the pump. Inside the can was a note. He removed the note and began to read. Dear stranger, this pump was working properly as of June 1932. I put a new leather washer in it. It should last for quite a few years. However, the washer dries out and the pump has to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a jar of water out of the sun and corked up. There's just enough water in the, jo- in the jar to prime the pump. But if you take a drink first, there won't be enough. You need to pour about one quarter of the jar onto the pump, let it sit for a minute to soak the leather washer, then pour the rest on medium fast and pump like crazy. You will get water. Have faith. I have never known the pump to run dry. Signed, Desert Pete. That revolutionized me. Because up until that point, I had been working so hard in my own life to prove certain things. 
Even as a young teenager, I recognized that if I was going to get anywhere, I was going to have to make it happen. Nobody was going to fight for me. And the fight I was. And Jesus came to me that day and he said, listen, if you'll trust me, if you'll not live for instant gratification, but if you'll take what I'm giving you as my word today, and you'll place what your faith is in me and your trust in me, I will give you water that will last you forever. It will be more than you could ever imagine. Every single one of us here this morning are being invited by Jesus in this Imagine initiative to place our small amount of water, how little it may be. God is saying, will you prime the pump of your faith with what little you may have? Will you take your limited resources? Will you take your limited even faith? And will you put it and you put your trust in me? It's going to defy logic. It's not going to make sense. But I'm asking you to do one thing, to listen and to obey. And that's what ruthless trust is all about. At the end of the day, it's about listening to something that might defy logic, but obeying what the word is from the Lord. Half a year ago, I was at a point in my life where I began to recognize that parts of my soul needed something that I was not receiving. For 30 years, I've enjoyed being the shepherd of people's souls. And yet I started to realize that there was something inside of me that longed for someone to shepherd my soul. And so I sought out a spiritual director. Someone that I could meet with. Someone that I could pray with. Somebody that could help me experience and pay attention to how God was wanting to move toward me. Several months back, he asked me a simple question. He said, how has God been coming to you in this season of your life? And honestly, I did not have an answer. He could tell by my response that I wasn't sure specifically how to respond to the question. And so here's what he encouraged me to do. He said, I want to encourage you just to pay attention to God. The next week, I had already had a two-day spiritual retreat planned. And I knew exactly the question that I was going to sit with in that retreat. And come to me, God did. In two different stories that are found in the Gospels, it was a remarkable turn of events that came to me in that particular time of retreat where God spoke to me through two very different passages but about one same similar theme. And that theme was trust. Ruthless, outlandish, ridiculous trust. I shared briefly about those stories during our Imagine events, but this morning I want to unpack them for us in the few moments we have remaining. The first one comes to us by way of Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. It's a story of when Jesus first comes to Peter and calls Peter to follow him. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse number 1. On one occasion, Jesus was preaching to the crowds on the shore of Lake Galilee. There was a vast multitude of people pushing to get close to Jesus to hear the word of God. He noticed two fishing boats 
at the water's edge, with the fishermen nearby rinsing their nets. Jesus climbed into the boat belonging to Simon Peter and asked him, let me use your boat. Push it off a short distance away from the shore so I can speak to the crowds. Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. A relationship with God always begins when Jesus steps into our life and says, I want to use you for my purposes. I want to use all that you have to bring, and I also want to use you in your weaknesses and your brokenness and your inadequacies and your failures. I want to use all of it for my glory. For some of you in this Imagine Initiative, the big step that you're going to take, and it's going to be a big step, is you're actually going to invite Jesus into your life, and you're going to say, God, I'm going to give you what I have. It may not be much, but I'm going to give to you what I have. And that's where relationship always begins with God, and Jesus steps into Peter's boat, and he says to him, I want you to push me out just a short distance. But then he said, this is only the beginning of where I want to take you. Beginning and picking it up at verse 4 through verse number 6. When he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, Now row out to deep water to cast your nets, and you will have a great catch. Here's Peter's response. Master Peter replied, We've just come back from fishing all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you insist, we'll go out again and we'll let down our nets. Now notice this. Because of your word. Don't miss that. Jesus' request to Peter was illogical. Did Jesus forget that Peter was a professional fisherman? Did he forget that Peter knew Lake Galilee like the back of his hand? Did Jesus forget that Peter had just been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything? No, he certainly didn't. But what he was doing is he was coming to Peter and saying, what I'm about to ask you to do is going to be ridiculous. It's going to be outlandish. It's going to, you're going to have every reason not to trust me in it. Every excuse you can give. But I'm asking you to listen to me, even if it's illogical. I'm asking you to untether your boat from the harbor and not just go out a little ways, but I want you to be all in. I want to take you to a place that you maybe had fished before, but I'm going to have you fish in a new way. I'm going to have you do something in a way that you've never done before. Oh, I know nighttime's the time to go out. And I know morning's the time to come in and you're done with fishing, but I'm asking you to go out during the day. And trust me. While I was at this retreat, one of the devotionals I read by way of reflection is Oswald Chambers my utmost for his highest? The June 8th entry, here's what it read. 
If you yourself do not cut the lines that tie you to the dock, God will have to use a storm to sever them and send you out to sea. If you believe in Jesus, you are not to spend all of your time in the calm waters, just inside the harbor, full of joy, always tied to the dock. You have to get out past the harbor into the great depths of God. It was only three weeks later that I was doing a pastor's leader's training in, in Egypt. As we were doing a debrief, an 80-year-old British man, during our debrief, stopped and said and looked at me and said, I sense that I have a word for you today. And he said, here's what I sense the Lord wants you to hear. You have been a man of faith. You've built a life of steady faith. You've been faithful in a walk of faith. But, but I sense God is about to call you to take a leap of faith. That was all he said. It was so affirming of what God had been speaking to me. And sometimes in life, God calls us to step out into a place that may be unfamiliar for us, a place that may feel foreign for us, and yet God is saying, I'm there with you. I'm going to walk with you in this. You're going to go into a territory that may not feel comfortable, but I am with you. I can be trusted. Verses 8 through 11. When Simon Peter saw the astonishing miracle, he knelt at Jesus' feet and begged him, Go away from me, Master. I'm a sinful man. Jesus answered, Do not yield to your fear, Simon Peter. From now on, you will catch men for salvation. After pulling their boats to the shore, they left everything behind and followed Jesus. Don't miss those words that Jesus speaks to Peter's heart. Do not yield to your fear. The single greatest enemy to ruthless trust is fear. When God speaks to us and says, I want you to trust me with your future, it is fear that causes us not to let go of the grip, but rather to hold on tighter. When God says, I want you to trust me with your finances, it is fear that talks us out of it. When God says, I want you to trust me with your family, it is fear that causes us to control and try to change rather than love and pray the way God asks us to. And what God is asking all of us to do is to have such a ridiculous, ruthless trust that we will not allow fear to get in the way when God takes us to those unfamiliar places. An author by the name of Brendan Manning wrote this, and it is just so extraordinarily powerful. I want to read it. The way of trust is a movement into obscurity into the undefined, into ambiguity, not into some predetermined, clearly defined plan for the future. 
The reality of naked trust is the life of a pilgrim who leaves what is nailed down, obvious, and secure and walks into the unknown without any rational explanation to justify the decision or guarantee the future. Why? Because God has signaled the movement and offered it his presence and his promise. This is so profound that I'm going to read it again because I want you to hear this. I want this to sink into your heart. The way of trust is a movement into obscurity, into the undefined, into ambiguity, not into some predetermined, clearly defined plan for the future. The reality of naked trust is the life of a pilgrim who leaves what is nailed down, obvious and secure, and walks into the unknown without any rational explanation to justify the decision or guarantee the future. Why? Because God has signaled the movement and offered it his presence and his promise. What helps us respond to fear when God calls us to ruthless trust? It is the reality that God is the one who gives us his promise and his presence right in the midst of it. So there was a second passage God used in my heart while I was at that spiritual retreat. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 21. And what's so remarkable about it as I read it to you this morning is you're going to think to yourself, is he reading Luke's Gospel again? This comes after Jesus is resurrected, three years later. And here's what it says in John's Gospel now, chapter 21, verses 1 and 3. Later, following the resurrection, Jesus appeared once again to a group of his disciples by Lake Galilee. Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they all replied, we'll go with you too. So they went out and fished through the night, but caught nothing. Sound vaguely familiar? Verse 4. Then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was him. He called out to them saying, hey guys, did you catch any fish? Not a thing, they replied. Jesus shouted to them, throw your net over the starboard side and you'll catch some. And so they did as he said, and they caught so many fish, they couldn't even pull in the net. So I wonder, as Peter is in the boat that day and doesn't immediately recognize the man on the shore, when he calls out to him and says, have you caught any fish? And Peter says, we've, we've caught nothing. We come up empty-handed today. And Jesus says to him, I want you to throw your net on the starboard side. Let me ask you, what was different about Peter's response here and Peter's response in Luke? The difference is three years had passed. The difference is that Peter had experienced God's love personally. Peter had witnessed 
many miracles that Jesus had done beginning with the catch of fish. The difference is Peter was not now just simply saying, I place my faith in you, but rather I place my trust in you. And there's a difference. I have learned that people can give their life to God and yet not really live a life of faith. I've done it myself. And not even live a life of trust. But something had happened to Peter. Peter now trusted. He didn't hesitate. He doesn't ask questions even though it's illogical. He just responds. So let me say this this morning. Faith that is tested over time matures into ruthless trust. Faith that is tested over time matures into ruthless trust. And that's exactly where God wants to take us. As I think about this Imagine initiative, as I think about God, what he's asking me and my wife Kelly to do, it seems a little ridiculous. <laughs> In other words, we've already been praying about how God wants to use us during this Imagine initiative. We're sensing God saying, leaps of faith, trust me, step out, believe, be willing to go to a place that seems a little unfamiliar. But I'm about to do something that is going to be so much bigger than what you can imagine. We are on a journey that we're inviting you to join us in. As we are preparing our hearts to imagine and really make the most generous commitment to Grace Crossing Church that we have ever made, we're doing it. Why? Because we believe in God's abilities. We trust Him. And we're inviting you to trust Him with us ruthlessly. I love how the story ends in John's gospel. Verse number seven. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Peter heard him say it, he quickly wrapped his outer garment and because he was athletic, he dove right into the lake to go to Jesus. In the first appearance in Luke's gospel, Jesus is calling Peter to trust him and become a follower. But in John's gospel three years later, Jesus is calling him to trust him and become a leader, an influencer. In Luke's gospel, Jesus does this miracle catch of fish and Peter is overwhelmed. He's amazed by the miraculous catch. The miracle is stunning. In John's gospel, he could care less about the fish. He's gone to where Jesus is. Because now he's amazed with Jesus. He's astonished at what God has done for him. And he just wanted to be with him. Let me ask you, as you imagine your life, as you imagine where you are today, as you imagine where God wants to take you in your faith journey, is your view of God like this? Is your view of God's love shallow and narrow and small? 
Or is it so expansive? Is the breadth of it so great that you say, listen, I trust him ruthlessly. I believe and I trust him with my future. I trust him with my family. I trust him with my finances. I give it all to God because that's what he's asking. As we close this morning, Pastor Life is going to close us in prayer, but before he does, I want to share one more thing with you, one more excerpt from a devotional that for the last number of years have become a tremendous meditation for Kelly and myself. It's called Jesus Calling. Listen to these words. Trust me enough to let things happen without striving to predict or control them. When you project yourself into the future, rehearsing what you will say, what you will do, you are seeking to be self-sufficient, to be adequate without my help. This is a subtle sin, so common that it usually slips by unnoticed. The alternative is to live fully in the present, depending on me each moment. Now listen to this. Rather than fearing your inadequacy, rejoice in my abundant supply. Train your mind to seek my help continually, even when you feel competent to handle something by yourself. Don't divide your life into things that you can do by yourself and things that require my help. Instead, learn to rely on me in every situation. That's ruthless trust. This discipline will enable you to enjoy life more and to face each day confidently. Let's stand together this morning. And let's pray together as God continues to call us to imagine all that he has for us here at Grace Crossing Church. Let us pray. Father, you are a good, good dad. And your love is abundant. Your resources are abundant. And we thank you. And we ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would take us to that place that's obscure. Take us to that place where we feel afraid and help us to move out in a way that shows our ruthless trust in you. Take us by the hand. We trust in your presence. We trust in your promises. And I pray that we would hear your still small voice and move out as you signal, as you lead us individually and as a church here at Grace Crossing. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.